Amen. So this evening's talk is the second talk that I've done in this series, and it's the second talk that I've sort of nicked some of the material from, a course called Living Free, uh, which we run here, and if you've done Living Free with us, that's brilliant. It won't be exactly the same if you're sat there going, oh no, he's going to tell all the same stories. I think I have got one or two new stories uh, to say as well. Uh, But if you want to know more uh, about this, we'll be doing Living Free here in the evening service from the 2nd of October. It's on your term card. Uh, Check that out. Um, So uh, do come along uh, to that from early October. October. Um, and I was praying earlier in the week and thinking, what passage should I use uh, for thinking about this evening? And the reality was about, about a dozen came into my mind. Um, and uh, that speaks into the fact that we uh, are in this spiritual battle where we're called to understand the reality of the spiritual realms around us. And the scripture is full of all of that. But I settled on these verses from Ephesians 6, which you will know well, but I'm going to read to you anyway. And they're at the top of your sheet that you've got in front of you. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God that you can, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Uh, The first question we need to get over when we're thinking about how and why we engage in spiritual warfare is whether or not we think we're actually in a battle, whether there is actually spiritual warfare uh, going on. And my simple answer to that question is yes. Uh, So let's move on. And uh, and the reality is, even in this passage, if we're not in a battle, why do we need armour? You don't go to Tesco's in armour, generally. Uh, not real armour anyway. Uh, if you don't go uh, about, you go, don't go to Florida or on holiday in armour, we go into battle in armour. Now, Paul is using this and it's, uh, it's a picture and we'll come back to that in a moment. But the reality is we're in battle. And as I've already said, throughout the whole narrative of scripture, we see the battles that are going on in the spiritual realms at work. Paul says uh, that we should have the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that we might know his hope, his power and his inheritance but those eyes open to this spiritual realm, this spiritual battle. So what does that look like? Well, there is the, the, the power of the evil one. There's a lot more about that in living free if you want to. But the evil one, the devil, whatever we call him, the thief, Jesus calls him the thief. The thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. Jesus has come, he says, so that you might have life and live it to the full. So the thief's desire, as it were, is to steal kill and destroy. That is the thing, that's his vision that he has. 
And he has a number of strategies for this, but I think the best way that we see those strategies at work is these verses in Genesis 3, 1 to 5. Now, whatever you think about Genesis 3 is not really uh, the issue here. We see the devil's strategy to carry out his desire to steal, kill, and destroy. Firstly, God tempts, sorry, the devil tempts Adam and Eve to doubt God's word. Verse 1, did God really say? The divisions that we see in our church and amongst us at the moment are us moving away from what God's word is saying. It is, did God really say that? Is that really for our good? It is a lie of the evil one when we listen to him uh, tempting us to doubt God's word. In In these five verses, he also tempts Adam and Eve to doubt God's goodness. You must not eat from any tree in the garden. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Thinking about financial dishonesty. Financial dishonesty is a way in which uh, the evil one tempts his church to doubt God's goodness. I've been reading again about um, uh, Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5 recently. Uh, you might remember that story. They, um, they lied to uh, the disciples about the, the money that they received from the plot of land uh, and, in, and in, as a result of that they died instantly uh, and I've been reading a bit about that and going, why, did, why such an extreme response uh, in, that, in that situation most theologians and I think I agree with this accept that that was because the early budding days of the church uh, God needed to ensure there was no financial dishonesty there was no um, creeping in of, uh, of that financial dishonesty in those early budding days of the church. Now, I sort of said this to someone the other day and laughed at the thing, but it's also deeply sad. If God were to kill all of the people in the church today who are involved in financial dishonesty, there probably wouldn't be much of a church left. It's sad that that has come into, uh, the, into the church in places. But again, it is the devil tempting his people, God's people, to doubt God's goodness. The devil tempts them to doubt God's truthfulness. You will not certainly die, verse 4. And if I'm honest, this is probably the lie that the evil one tries uh, tries to have a go at me with more often than not. Uh, My dad died when I was um, just 10 years old. He was 56. And um, for much of my early teenage years, early adult life, I've believed that I will die at a young age as a result of that. And the devil has perpetuated that lie over and over and over and over again. And yet, um, once I realised that it was a lie, whenever it comes back and whenever he comes and tries to speak that lie to me, someone else reminds me of Psalm 91. You might remember Psalm 91. Um, uh, With long life I will satisfy him. That's what Psalm 91 says. It is a verse that has been spoken to me prophetically probably 150 times. That's not an exaggeration in the last 10 years or so. Because almost every time that I allow myself to listen to that light, the evil one, God in his graciousness sends someone uh, to speak that truth over me. But the devil wants us to disbelieve God's truthfulness and listen to the devil's lies. And the devil tempts them to doubt God's otherness. You will be like, like God, verse 5. And, uh, you know, uh, we, we all at times want to be like God, to be in control of situations. I've said this uh, before. Augustine, bless his heart, used to say, pray as if everything depends, 
on God and act as if everything depends on you. You got the first part right. We should pray as if everything depends on God. But we should also act as if everything depends on God as well. It's not all about us and our control. Of course, we have to partner with him. But we, God doesn't want us to be God. He can do that for us. Uh, and the devil tempts us to be that God, to take that control. We have no need to be afraid of the spiritual battles. And I'm not going to spend long on these. Again, we'll spend more time on those if you come to Living Free. Uh, we don't need to be afraid, firstly, because the devil is a defeated foe. Some verses in Colossians 2 there that confirm that. So there are others throughout scripture. Uh, we have been rescued, Colossians 1. Uh, and the best illustration, I will share this, and I know I've shared this a number of times, is it's the difference between D-Day and V-E-Day. The battle is run won. But there are still battles going on in the spiritual realms. There's still casualties at work. That difference between D-Day, when the war was pretty much ended, but there were still battles going on beyond it till V-E-Day. That's where we are. And we don't need to be afraid because God lives in us. My favourite verses, some of my favourite verses in Scripture, 1 John 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one in the world. This mirrors the story of Elisha and his servant in two kings when there's a huge army of people come to capture them and Elisha's servant goes, ah, what are we going to do? And Elisha says, do not fear for those who are with us are greater than those who are with them. And he prays, open his eyes and his eyes are opened and then um, he's able to see the battlements of the Lord against them. Those who are, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And we have authority over the evil one. We are called to happy people who have authority. Luke 10 uh, tells us that we have given, been given authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. About 40 years ago, John Stott, who was a longtime vicar of All Souls Langham Place in London, stood up and said, uh, it's not possible for God to fight the devil. And uh, everyone sort of looked very nervous and uh, looked a bit scared at him for a moment. And he said, because it would be, it's just an unequal battle. It would be like me attempting to punch a ladybird. It's just not possible. It's just beyond. The power is so big. It's not an equal battle. It's not an equal fight. The devil has no uh, way of winning. So, what do we need to know? There is a battle. We have no need to be afraid. Why should we engage then? Should we not just sit in our lovely homes, go on our lovely holidays and just forget all about it? Well, firstly, we should engage because scripture tells us to engage. We pray it and we'll pray it again in a few minutes time. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We are engaging in spiritual battles uh, when we do that. Verse 18 of our reading, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying uh, for the Lord's people. Jesus, as I said, tells us to do it. Uh, Matthew 6, there at the top of your page. When we pray these prayers, we're engaging in the spiritual battles that are going on. So how should we do it? Well, being aware that there's a spiritual battle. And that's as simple as asking the question, Lord, what is actually going on in this situation? Is this thing just happening or is there more going on here uh, than we can see? Are these, uh, there's some questions there that you might think about asking uh, from time to time, but there are plenty more besides what is going on in this situation? Is it just happening or is there a spiritual battle? And when we're praying for others, we need to be really sensitive 
um, to the way in which we pray. You may have seen the sort of dramatised TV programmes. You may have seen it in real life of, of, of people going, the power of Christ compels you, uh, kind of shouting at people to get uh, demons to leave a situation. They're not deaf, and nor is God. Um, a good friend of mine teaches Living Free in Bristol. He's actually a consultant psychiatrist. Uh, as well as teaching Living Free. And every time he has somebody come into his waiting room, he says, Lord, what's going on for this person? Is it spiritual or is it physical? And if the Lord tells him it's spiritual, he prays for them. He doesn't tell them he's doing it. He just prays for them in the quiet. Almost all of the spiritual battles I've been engaged with in my life have been very quiet, under my breath. No one else would have known that they would have been happening. But God knows. And that has had an impact in the spiritual realms. It's really, really, really important that we understand when we consider these battles in the spiritual realms that it is not possible as a believer of Christ to be possessed by the power of the evil one. Why? Because you are possessed by Christ and he doesn't take lodgers. It's my most favourite phrase. You are possessed by Christ and he doesn't take lodgers. You can be oppressed but not possessed. Uh, Verses that clarify that you are possessed by Christ. Uh, uh, there, examine yourself. You, do you not realise that Christ Jesus is in you? Jesus Christ is you possessed by Christ. Now, um, the translators of the Gospels, and the translators of the New Testament particularly, um, have used the word possession, but actually the word that comes out as possession doesn't actually really appear uh, in Scripture at all. Um, the New Testament word, got it there, I'm going to try and say it, deimonizai, whatever it is, uh, means to be influenced by the demonic rather than possessed by the demonic. Uh, the Church of England has a whole system uh, put in place for dealing with those who are possessed uh, or they, that believe they are possessed. They have people called deliverance ministers and I am one of the Diocese of Portsmouth's deliverance ministers and you might think that I spend 9 till 5, Monday to Friday, going around casting out demons and, uh, and seeing all sorts of things happening in the weird and wonderful things. That doesn't happen because actually possession is incredibly rare. Oppression is incredibly common, but possession is very, very rare. It's actually happened once to my previous incumbent, Jonathan, who was my vicar, my boss in my last church. And he went to somebody who had um, wanted to come to Christ and had previously been uh, a Wiccan in the um, cultish part of the world, I can't remember exactly where, but not a Christian, and had, uh, had been possessed. And um, uh, Jonathan went to him, prayed with him, I've got his permission to share this, and in the process of that prayer, the, the man exhibited a number of demons who came out of him, just as we do see sometimes in scripture uh, from time to time. Not a very happy experience, quite a scary experience for Jonathan, I expect, but a good experience because he received Christ's light and his love. Now, about six months later at St. Paul's, I was preaching on this topic and I said exactly what I said, which is that you can't, as a follower of Christ, be possessed by the evil one, you can only be oppressed. And afterwards, this chap came up to me and said, um, you know what happened with Jonathan, don't you? And I said, I do. Uh, and he said, I've had this recurring voice telling me that Jonathan got rid of all of them except for one. And there's one left, and it's the biggest, and it won't go, and it will be there forever. It is not possible as a believer of Christ to be possessed by the work of the evil one. It can be oppressed by the lies of the evil one, but not possessed. The devil is the chief of lies. 
what I had to explain to him and talk him through and work through him was that he was being lied to by the evil one. Because what a great lie, right? What a great lie. You won't ever get rid of me. You're not powerful enough to get rid of me. It's contrary to what scripture says. Because scripture says we have authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the evil one. Not most of the power, but we'll leave the big bit in the corner. All of the power of the evil one. So we prayed, we talked about how he dealt with our oppression, and it went. It fleed from him, as scripture tells us to. Tells us it will. The devil is the chief of lies. We're not to listen to his lies, but to listen to the truth of God. We are people who are under authority because we listen to God. We do what God calls us to. It's why in the Church of England there are only certain people that are allowed to do certain things. We're under the church's authority uh, as well. It's good to have that spiritual backup. But we are called to be in authority. How do, we, how do we do that? How do we marry those things? If you were here last week, Neil talked about healing ministry and the importance of those three words. Listen, watch and pray. Listen to what Jesus is saying. Watch what's going on and pray. It's exactly the same with spiritual um, authority. It's exactly the same with engaging in spiritual warfare. Listen, ask the Lord what is going on in this situation. Watch to see what's happening around you and then pray. And keep at all times in step with the spirit so are we in the battle yes we are do we need uh, the spiritual armor yes we do and we should engage with the full armor of it and i love this passage and it's a it's a beautiful imagery actually and often what i will say to people uh, when they're feeling particularly oppressed is to pray this prayer over themselves and to almost imagine themselves putting uh, the armor on the belt of truth around our on, around our waist knowing that we're people of of, of, of integrity and people of truth, the breastplate of righteousness to protect our hearts, the shield of faith to extinguish flames, the helmet of salvation to protect our minds, and the sword of the spirit. Um, that's the everything else notice in the armour of God, including I've put the shoes of peace because it doesn't really say. It says feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So I like the shoes of peace, but that's not there. Uh, but be people of peace. Everything else is... Um, uh, defensive. It's the sword of the spirit that is offensive. What is the sport, sword of the spirit? Is the lamp to our feet. Is our best enemy against the schemes of the enemy. Sorry, best, our best defense against the scheme of the enemies. If we're in a dark room, we don't simply stand there and go, "Darkness be gone, please, darkness go away." No, we switch on a light. Your word is the lamp to my feet, a light to my path. It says in Psalm 119. We are to switch on the light. One of the things that's uh, really important uh, is um, actually verse 21 of Luke. Sorry, there's a typo on your sheet. Luke 17 to 20, 10, 17 to 20 is on the top of page two. It says, the 72 with Joe turned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the evil one. Nothing will harm you. Great, we've got all of that power. However, you sometimes miss that. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. 
We need to have confidence in who God has made us to be and the authority that we have in his name. You, dear children, are from God because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. I'm going to get us to stand, if that's all right, and to pray. Please stand.